we're going to talk about evangelism. I want to admit to you that when we talk about evangelism, I am instantly convicted. I openly admit I don't share Christ enough. And the reason I say that is there are people that I have been with that I didn't tell about Jesus. And so I think you'll say you've done enough when not only have you shared that with everyone you know, but anyone that you meet. Um, I want to grow in my evangelism. I want to uh, deepen in my love for the lost. I want our church to be a part of that. I, the thing that I was praying for coming uh, home from a, a trip I took in the middle of the week was um, that God would give us new converts that would make us really uncomfortable and really excited. New converts who didn't know anything about Christ and who, who God puts in your lap and in ours to, to, to disciple um, so we'll see what the Lord does. I want you to join me in praying that we become more evangelistic and that people who don't know Christ hear about Christ because of people who are equipped and who love God and who love souls and who have a very real understanding of eternity who go to here to Mission Road Bible Church. I'm convinced that the main reason that we don't evangelize is that Satan has successfully and our flesh has successfully blinded us to the reality of eternity. If we really believe in heaven, we want people to join us there. On the other side, if we really believe in a Christless eternity, an eternal hell, then we would warn everyone to flee from the wrath to come. So I go back to my own heart, and I think it's, it's, it's the marginalizing of that doctrine in my mind, the, the ignoring of that doctrine, the minimizing of that doctrine that tends to blind my heart to being sensitive toward evangelism. Evangelism is usually felt as a duty rather than a privilege. Now, very interestingly, uh, in um, Luke 6.45, Jesus says from, says the mouth speaks from that which fills the heart. Now let's just think about this. The mouth speaks from that which fills the heart. Said another way, if you want to know what's important to somebody, just listen to them talk. We talk about the things that are most important to, about us, right? Here's the question. Is the gospel, is the Lord Jesus Christ something we cannot stop talking about because it's first and foremost and precious on our hearts. Just listen to what we do today. We'll talk about uh, uh, a great shot. The last few, few days have had incredible NBA shots, game-winning shots that are uh, timeless. They will last the test of time on uh, uh, historic three-point or two-point shots with three men guarding. We talk about that. We talk about the weather. You know, we're supposed to have tornadic event tonight. We, we talk about things that are important to us. That's okay. There's nothing wrong with those being important to us. The question is, if we're not talking about Jesus and not talking about the gospel with ourselves and not talking about that with others, well, Luke 6, 45 says, the mouth speaks from that which fills the heart. If our mouths don't ring forth with the, the song of Christ and the power of the gospel, it is because it's not on our hearts. We talk about sports, clothes, games, children. Uh, we talk about ourselves. We don't typically find ourselves talking about Jesus because 
He's what we're thinking about. He's precious to us. And I want to start our discussion on evangelism by looking at that. It's, it's not that Jesus, the gospel is not a logical plan, but the gospel is presented in the New Testament as a person. It's a person. It's, it's the man, the Lord Jesus, who is God as well. It's, we talk about him because he's important to us. Please don't reduce the gospel to a set of laws or spiritual realities. I told you a couple of years ago, and I'll, I will tell you again about that, that horrific moment I had on, uh, you know, on that British air flight where I tried to tell the gospel to, my, to that person sitting next to me, and uh, they didn't want to hear anything about it. And, and, and when I reflected on why they wanted to hear, didn't want to hear the gospel, it was because I'd given them an option for heaven, hell, life, and, and death, and it was very theological. It was very plan-oriented. It was very transactional in, in terms of what would be gained and lost. Rather than presenting them the glory of Christ. Take your Bibles and open to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2. I want to make evangelism as simple as I can this morning. 1 Peter 2. Peter is talking about the glory of Christ in the gospel. And he says, um, well, look at verse four. Coming to him as a living stone, which has been rejected by man, but is choice and precious in the sight of God. What, what an insight that is into what the world does with Jesus and how we consider him. You also, as living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood. Now he starts using some Old Testament priestly language. To offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Christ Jesus. Those are the sacrifices of obedience, not animal deaths. For this is contained in Scripture. Behold, I lay in Zion a choice stone, a precious cornerstone. He who believes in him will not be disappointed. Verse 7 is, a, is really difficult Greek language, but I want to try to tell you a, maybe a better translation than, than you, you, you have in, in your edition. The New American Standard says, This precious value then is for you who believe. If you translate it literally, it says, To him who believes, there's an out to, a, 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 a personal pronoun about Christ. For him who believes, he is precious. To the one who believes, Jesus is precious. But for those who disbelieve, the stone which the builders rejected, this became the very cornerstone and a, stum, a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. For they, unbelievers, stumble because they are disobedient to the word and to this doom they were also appointed. We'll talk about this when we get into um, divine sovereignty and election in Romans 9. Um, notice the God's involvement and man's involvement, not only in salvation but in damnation here. They were disobedient to the word and to this doom they were appointed. Man's responsibility, God's sovereignty. Now I said all that, read all that to get to verse nine. But you, this is really interesting language. He uses the, the highest pyramid of spiritual accolades in the top of the pyramid of spiritual accolades in the Old Testament. You are a chosen race. That's the Jews. That doesn't mean we're now the Jews. It means you are to do the function of 
the Jewish nation, which is to tell those about, uh, tell others about the glory of God in salvation. A royal priesthood. A holy nation, a people for God's own possession. Now, if you underline things in your Bible, here is, I think, the most important verse about evangelism in the New Testament. It's a big claim. So that you may proclaim the excellencies, the attributes, the glories of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. What is evangelism? Evangelism is telling people what's excellent about God. Is it possible to talk about the excellencies of God without talking about the substitutionary atonement of his son for sinners? Is there anything more excellent about the attributes of God than the gospel? We have been given this royal priesthood. We're a holy nation. We're a people for God's own possession. there's There's a purpose clause there. So that we can proclaim what's excellent about him, his excellencies. Let's go back to Luke 6. So then if, if the heart speaks, if the mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart, Jesus is to fill the heart so that we just can't help ourselves. We can't stop talking about the fact that Christ is so glorious and the gospel is so amazing. And even if you don't care, even if you're going to ridicule me, even if you think it's ridiculous, we cannot stop talking about the amazement in our own heart that we have been saved from God's wrath by the death of a crucified Messiah that was his son who he did on purpose on our behalf. The realities of heaven and hell, the realities of what God has done compel us to look with wonder and amazement into gospel realities that make us want to talk about them. That's the purest, sweetest response in evangelism. It's not we, 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 we sit down with someone and we're, we're so nervous because we got to get it all right. It's, I, got, I, got, I can't stop talking to you about what God's done in my life. Now, I want to be honest with you. The first six months of my uh, spiritual life, I, I was like that. I would evangelize a telephone pole if it would stand long enough. I just, I was so excited. I was forgiven of my sin. It was just incredible. And I told everybody, I was on a track, I was in high school, I was on a track team and we were doing, um, uh, you know, uh, 440s. It wasn't 400s. This was back in the old days. 440 and then you walk a lap, 440 walk a lap. And I was talking to my friends about Christ and they said, dude, are you a Jesus freak? This was before any kind of song about that. And I remember saying, it, was, it took me by surprise. And I, I remember thinking, I, I said out loud, I think, I think so. I didn't know not to be. Because Christ was so awesome in my, I couldn't stop talking about it. And then I began to mature as a Christian and understand deep doctrine and thought, it just, it waned and I'm embarrassed by that. I think sometimes the best evangelists are people who are freshly saved because they're so swimming in God's mercy and grace. How can they... They're just overwhelmed by it. Are you overwhelmed by the realities of heaven and hell? Are you overwhelmed by the reality that God would reach down and choose you to die for you, to give you forgiveness of sins, to make you his son, his daughter by adoption? Is that just, 
I can't stop talking about it. I can't stop thinking about it. That's what's going on here in 1 Peter. I want to ask you to redefine your evangelism from getting all the order right to proclaiming the excellencies of God who saved you out of darkness. Peter tells, um, uh, in 2 Peter, he tells his readers, always be ready to give an adequate defense, apologetics, but we forget the last phrase, for the hope that's where? That's within you. Look at Paul's standing before um, Felix and um, Agrippa, um, he, uh, Festus, uh, the Jewish council. Every time he does that, four times in the book of Acts, when he is given the opportunity to do what Jesus said, you'll stand before kings and princes. When he's given the opportunity to do that, the, the greatest theologian who ever lived, you know what he did? He gave his testimony. He said, let me tell you what happened to me. I was on this road and this light came and Christ saved me and I used to uh, uh, persecute him and now I'm saved by his grace and he can't stop talking about what God did for him. I find it really interesting in Paul's defense of his faith for his life. He defaulted to his testimony, which is exactly what Peter says. Be ready to give a defense for the hope that's within you. So evangelism is talking about what's great about Christ and where does that impact you the most in what he's done for you in, in your life? It's an odd person who won't hear this. Let me, let me give you two scenarios. Um, do you know where you're going to die when you, when you, when you, when you, um, when you know where you're going to go when you die? You're going to go to heaven or hell? And people have heard that for the most part. A lot of people have. You're welcome to use that. But when you put it on them initially, they're instantly in the defensive, I got to wrestle with this. I think that's okay. I think a better starting point is, you're not gonna believe this. You, you, wanna, you want a starting point? How about this? I was dead and now I'm alive. What? Well, it's not what you think. Spiritually, I was dead. Let me tell you what God did for me in Christ and to be exuberant and joyful. That is so winsome and that's so attractive. And if they persecute you, if they insult you, if they get on you, your best response is, I just tell you, I'm so excited about what Christ has done for me. I'm not gonna try to win this debate. The Lord's bondservant is not quarrelsome, but kind, able to teach. It's being winsome because Christ has done such an amazing thing to us, for us, and in us. So, back to the beginning, I think it could be that one of the reasons that we're not so excited about evangelism and faithful about evangelism is because it's just not that important to us. Do we talk about the arete, the virtues, the excellencies of Christ? Drum roll. You will not talk about what you don't know about. You will not know the excellencies of Christ unless your face is in the book Daily. Had an interesting conversation with one of our, not you, Michaela, but one of our uh, college students a couple weeks ago who, uh, who said, you know, we laugh about you every time you say, this is another read the Bible sermon. And I said, you're probably gonna hear a lot more of those. Because they all are, aren't they? How can we proclaim his excellencies if we don't know them? Where are his excellencies contained in the Bible? 
I mean, just to be able to tell somebody, can I just tell you about a woman at a well that Jesus met? You're not gonna believe what happened. Can I tell you about some guys who wanted to trap Jesus? You're not gonna believe what he told them. They were trying to trap him in his own words. And what he did is he says, I, I am the God of Abraham and Isaac. I am, which means they're alive, and I was there. there there's so much going on back and forth with time and eternity. Do you, who can say that? Do you, when Jesus was praying, and he said, restore to me the glory that I had with you before the world began. Have you ever heard anybody pray like that? Who, who prays like that? Just to be freshly amazed at Christ. When we're freshly amazed by Christ, at Christ, because of Christ, I think we speak about what's on our hearts and we proclaim his excellencies because they are on our hearts, which makes them on our lips. So it comes back to knowing about Christ. Uh, a few passages that you, you know about. Men of Israel, uh, this is the day of Pentecost, Acts 2. Verse 22, men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs which God performed through him in your midst, just as you yourselves know. This man, delivered over by the predetermined plan of God and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. But God raised him up again, putting an end to the agony of death since it was impossible for him to be held by his power. Do you hear what Peter did? He's got 2,000 people at the southern steps. He's probably up on the southern steps looking over this valley right above the, the Jebusite city, the city of David. He's looking down and he, when he's talking about the gospel, he talks about Jesus. Not, not four spiritual laws, not a plan. That may be training wheels that can get you going, but eventually your best play is let me tell you about a great God and a loving Savior. Acts 8.35, remember the Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch? Then Philip opened his mouth and beginning from this scripture, he preached Jesus to him. Acts 9, Saul's conversion, verse 19. Now for several days he was with the disciples who were at Damascus and immediately he began to proclaim Jesus in the synagogues. He kept increasing in strength and confounding the Jews who lived at Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Christ. Peter preaching to the Gentiles, Acts 10. Opening his mouth, Peter said, I must certainly understand now that God is not one to show partiality, but in every nation, the man who fears him and does what is right is welcome to him. Such a sweet, you know, in Cornelius' house, what a sweet passage that is. The word which he sent to the sons of Israel, preaching peace through Jesus Christ. You know of Jesus. God was with him. What Jesus did in Jerusalem, God raised him up on the third. It's just Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Paul, 1 Corinthians 2. When I came to you, brethren, I did not come to you with superiority superiority of speech or of wisdom proclaiming to you the testimony of God I didn't come to you with flashy speeches for I determined to know nothing among you except what is it Jesus Christ and him crucified now, we, we, we can go on this is eternal life 
that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you send, John 17, 3. The definition of eternal life according to Jesus is Jesus. So, the Great Commission, go into all the world and preach the gospel, the good news. John, uh, Romans 1, 1 talks about the gospel of God. And then 1, 3, he says, concerning his son, Jesus Christ. I think one of the reasons that our evangelism struggles is because we, we depersonalize it. We're trying to win a philosophical debate on how you live your life rather than to be winsome about one who's changed ours. What a difference. Peter was so clear. Give a defense for the hope that's in you. Talk about what Christ has done in you, for you. People are much more interested to hear in a great God changing a wicked sinner than they are to be put in their place. You can do that later in the conference, in the conference, in the conversation. But I would start with, you're not gonna believe this. You want a great opener? You ever seen somebody dead and come back to life? No. Well, I, I, was, I did that spiritually. Let me tell you about this. Ephesians 2, right? The gospel is Jesus. Now I'm gonna give you two little lists, okay, that you know well. We keep covering these over and over. Two little lists that will help you get some handles on how to move through a gospel discussion. Remember we talked about facts, theology, response. That's the gospel. The gospel is a set of historical facts that are about Jesus that must be believed. He was from Nazareth, grew up as a perfect uh, uh, person. He uh, uh, went to Jerusalem, the, the, was really crucified on a real cross by real Romans. This is historically verifiable. It happened. You have to start with the facts that Jesus did it. In fact, while you're, while you're thinking about that and turning it and maybe writing it down, look over at 1 Corinthians chapter 15. It becomes a little bit of a paradigm for this. The facts. Now I made known to you the gospel, brethren, the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received in which you stand, by which also you were saved if you hold fast the word which I preached to you unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance also that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. He starts with the basic bedrock that this happened historically, which moves us into secondly, theology. There's facts and there's theology. Christ's death meant something theological. Something was happening in heaven. There was a transaction going, taking place in the divine decree that was going on in heaven. There was mediation taking place. There was a substitution taking place. He died for our sins. There's theology taking place. And then the third is response, which is to repent. Take up your cross, follow him. Let him deny himself and follow Christ. You turn from your sins and you embrace him. That doesn't mean you become perfect. That doesn't mean you become sinless. What it means is you begin the lifelong fight against your flesh and against your sin. You repent. Zacchaeus, if I have wronged anybody, I'll pay him back double. Nothing, nothing in this world is precious to me when it's compared to Christ. Let me give you another little list that will help you talk about Jesus with, with people. Sin, substitution, submission. It's kind of the same thing from a different angle. When you're getting in a conversation evangelistic with, evangelistically with people, you want to talk about sin. 
Um, it's an ugly reality. But if there is no, if sin is not the problem, the gospel will not be the solution. So you have to talk about sin. Just ask someone if they are perfect. And no one will say that they are. Um, I did have a guy tell me one time that he had become perfect. Um, but this was the same guy who a few months later was admitted to uh, a mental hospital in, in California because he said he was Jesus. He literally believed that. Um, few people will say that they're perfect. When given the opportunity, you can ask people if they've kept the law. Just You can use the Ten Commandments to say, have you kept these all the days of your life in every, every way possible? Sin. If there's no sin, there's no reason to be saved. Number two, substitution. That sin brings the wrath of God, a righteous, rightful wrath of God against sin and sinners. The wages of sin is death. If the wages of sin is death, then either I'm going to die for my sin or in God's amazing, mysterious providence that's too wonderful to even fathom, he died in our place. Remember explaining this to my, my kids when they were really little. God, God, what he did to Jesus would be like someone taking a spanking for you. You deserved it and they took it. He was our substitute. He substituted for us. Think about this. Personalized sin, that, that, that's us. Substitution, that's Jesus. And then submission, three, number three, submission which is that response. We, we submit our lives to him. Why would I not give my life to the one God-man who had died for me? So you know the Great Commission. You know that we're supposed to tell people. We know that we get to tell people. But having handlebars on how you do it, what you say, is, is important, but is less important than you just telling people what a great God and a great Savior did, Savior did in your life. Proclaim his excellencies. Just tell them you might, can I tell you what, what God has done in my life? Few people will say no. If they don't, if, if they do, just go to the next person. We talk about what's important to us. If Jesus is important to us, guess what? We proclaim his excellencies, his arete, his virtues, his wonders. We won't do that unless our mind is basked and bathed in the word where those things are, are fresh in our minds.